Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. FST Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. We just had Mo Moten on uh, from, from Bleacher Report talking about the Raiders. And we're going to welcome in Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News. You can find him on Twitter at mmehta, M-E-H-T-A-N-Y-D-N. And Manish, first of all, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you taking some time this morning. Thanks for having me on, guys. So... Interesting week. I, I think, uh, <laughs> as as many people ha- have said, it was the ultimate hold my beer moment. Uh, the Knicks had just lost the lottery. The Giants are getting hammered for Daniel Jones and a variety of other things. And the Jets decide after the draft and after a windfall of spend it, expenditure on various free agents, let's move on from the GM. So you did an excellent job breaking this down on the Daily News in an article yesterday, which can be found in your Twitter timeline. Uh, and I'll tweet it out as well. I, I could ask a thousand questions, but the first one I have to ask is, can a football team be successful if the CEO does not know what he's doing? Well, in the long term, no, I don't think they can. If you just look at it in a vacuum for 2019, I, I don't believe that Mike McCagnin's firing is going to really have a, a significant impact on what you're going to see on the field this year. But in terms of long-term vision, strategy, uh, absolutely. If you don't have stability at the top of your organization, you're never ultimately going to be successful. Because if you look at the, you know, the most successful organizations, not only in the NFL but in pro sports, they have, uh, you know, top down the, you know, a, a top down formula that works, and that means the owner, general manager, head coach, you know, those three really have to be solid. And, and again, it, it starts with the guy who signs the checks. So, as far as the, they say they're going to hire a GM, will this, will this just be a yes man to Adam Gase? Will it be someone with authority of his own? How do you expect the structure to work? Well, you know, according to Christopher Johnson, the, the reporting structure is going to be exactly the same, it, which means that the general manager is going to have a direct line to the owner and the head coach is not going to report directly to the general manager. He also will have a direct line to the owner, which creates some inherent issues. I, I didn't agree with that setup when that was put in place when Woody Johnson was still here before he took over as the UK ambassador a couple years ago. I, I don't agree with that uh, strategy now, but uh, that, that's what the Johnson want, brothers want to do. So in terms of whether this new general manager is going to be a yes man, I think it's fair to say that Adam Gase is going to handpick this guy. Uh, and ultimately, Christopher Johnson is going to sign off on it. But, uh, you know, if you're being practical uh, and real about the situation, this is going to be a guy that Gase feels comfortable with. And even though they're technically, you know, on the same level, I think you'd be naive to to think that Gase doesn't have more control and more power uh, inside that building right now. Yeah, I I think we saw a dynamic in Miami where that happened as well. Even though he had success in his first season in Miami, it was clear he was trying desperately to turn that roster 
over. It's actually why I probably less so than some other people have, have bashed the Gase hiring. I thought he got caught in a turnover and maybe it was of his own doing a roster turnover in Miami where the talent was sort of being depleted. Now they've signed a bunch of guys here uh, that have improved the talent on the team. So he walks into that. Hopefully he'll be happy with some of the players he's had. But I thought the, the one part of your story that I thought was, was key was that you said here, Gase had a small window to seize control. If the Jets were in playoff conversation in 2019, he'd be tied to McCagnan that he learned was not a good fit for him. And if they stunk, then he'd lose the juice that he has with the owner right now. So this was really his only opportunity to make this move, yes? Yeah, I think that's how he viewed it. Uh, you know, from his vantage point, I think it makes sense. You know, just from a human standpoint, I don't think it necessarily was the right, the ethical thing to do, but that's probably a different conversation for a different time. But from his point of view, uh, you know, he, he has a lot of clout with this owner right now. He's zero and zero, right? He hasn't lost a game yet. Uh, he's the toast of, the, of that building. He's got a lot of energy, a lot of fire, and clearly there were some shortcomings that uh, the owner knew about the general manager, and he had some reservations. There were people in that building that wanted to fire Mike McCagnin uh, along with Todd Bowles after the season. And Christopher Johnson, by nature, is a, a glass-half-full type of guy. He was also fully aware that he was not prepared to lead a GM and a head coaching search. So that Mike McCagnin and Brian Heimerdinger were the two best people to help in that search. And, and uh, you know, every bit of information that I have now is that Christopher Johnson was aware of these shortcomings that McCagnin had, but he was also optimistic and hopeful and, and obviously naive, uh, thinking that he could, uh, you know, the general manager could, could change, could improve. That clearly didn't happen to Johnson's satisfaction. And then ultimately, Adam Gase seized on that opportunity, saw some of those shortcomings, and, uh, you know, for lack of a better phrase, took advantage of the situation to seize control. Jets, always fun. They they give us good stuff to talk about, though, so I I love the Jets. All right, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Apparently, Gase didn't want him. Uh, Who... Who's, who was decision was it to sign Bill? Was it ownership? Was it Johnson? Was it uh, the GM? And what do you expect to happen? Schefter brought up the possibility yesterday that Bell could be traded, which would just be wild for a guy who's never played a down for the team. So who uh, whose decision was it to sign Bell, and what do you think happens here? Okay, well, this is what happened with Le'Veon Bell. I know there's a million different stories floating around. This is actually what happened. Uh, Adam Gase did not want Le'Veon Bell. He does not believe he needs that type of player at that position in his offense. Uh, If you look at his history, you can clearly see he likes to rotate running backs. There hasn't been a star guy. I think probably the the guy – the two guys that stand out in the backfield uh, for him uh, in his career were Jay Ajayi, who he shipped off, and uh, Sean Moreno. So we're not talking about superstar players here. He did not believe that he needed Le'Veon Bell. He did not want Le'Veon Bell. However, the owner wanted Le'Veon Bell, and the general manager was fully aware that the owner wanted Le'Veon Bell. So uh, you know, by proxy, the general manager wanted Le'Veon Bell. But the, the genesis of it was that the owner wanted Le'Veon Bell, and if you're Adam Gase, who just got hired at that point, even though you don't want Bell, you said you you know you say to your people, okay, well let you know if we can get him, get him uh, you know at the right price. I don't want to pay a lot of money not only for Le'Veon Bell, but I don't want to pay a lot of money for anybody who plays running back because again I don't need that position to have a successful offense. So you know that gets twisted a lot uh, and it has gotten twisted a lot in the last 48 hours. There's a lot of spin out there about how. Well, he loved Le'Veon Bell, but he didn't want to pay him a lot of money. No, that was only after he realized 
that Le'Veon Bell was coming, whether he liked it or not, because his preference was that he did not want Bell. But if he was going to have to have him, he would take him on a discounted. But he's also a smart guy, and he knew that Le'Veon Bell wasn't going to come at a cheap rate. So in essence, he was saying the same thing in a different way. I don't want Le'Veon Bell. And at the end of the day, what's ironic is that the Jets actually got a relatively good deal for him, $14 million a year over two years. It's a, you know, it's a, uh, it's a multi-year deal beyond that, but the reality is that the real money is two years for $20 million. So that's $14 million in 2019, $14 million in 2020, which is a pretty good price. And you you probably figured before free agency, the absolute floor for Bell was going to be the you know twelve thirteen million dollar range. The ceiling maybe sixteen million dollars. So uh, so Gase knew exactly what the range was going to be, and now uh, now that it's out there, uh, you know now that the truth is out there, he'll do some damage control. He'll say whatever he needs to say to the player to get in good graces with the player. He's actually pretty good at that. You know, not across the board, but by and large, he's very good at dealing with players on a one on one basis. As far as Le'Veon Bell goes. You know, he's got a lot to prove, not playing last year. I don't think the the fact that the owner, I mean, that, that the head coach is going to really impact how he performs on the field. Uh, I I never want to say never because, I, you know, I've been misled in the past uh, recently, but I would be shocked, frankly, if Le'Veon Bell was traded. I don't see that happening. Again, we're with Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at MMehtaNYDN. So, uh, to that point, I-, I think you're right on the contract. It's not a team killer. It's more than you'd want to spend, but it's not a team killer because they can be out of it after the 2020 season. But, to that same point, if he didn't want Bell, what about all the other guys that were signed? C.J. Mosley was signed for a big number. How does he feel about that? And obviously some of these players were drafted without his any real input. The scouts were sort of led to distrust Adam Gase. I understand why he felt uncomfortable. It seems like he went about all of this in a very peculiar and precocious manner. But does he like any of these players that were picked or signed beyond Bell? Uh, yeah, he, he likes C.J. Mosley. Uh, it's hard not to like C.J. Mosley. The price was yeah. exorbitant. Uh uh, that being said, the Ravens desperately wanted to bring him back and probably would have brought him back if the money was equal. So the Jets knew that they had to go above and beyond. And look, we're talking about a few extra million dollars. I know it's not my money, so I don't really care. But in terms of the player along, did Adam Gates want C.J. Mosley? 100%, yes. He, he wanted him. So uh, I don't think that that's an issue. You know, The money was too much. We all kind of knew that. But uh, I don't think that'll be a problem. Uh, the bigger question, and the one that you just hit on, I, I think is a terrific point. He didn't really have say in these in these players in the draft. This was a Mike McCagnin production. He he did not challenge any of these picks uh, during the draft. Uh, he he kind of washed his hands before before the draft even began. So much so that he didn't want to be on camera, and he intentionally moved his chair away from uh, Christopher Johnson. It's incredible. So he was not. I've never read anything like that in my life until I read your article. It's incredible that that's yeah, what he did. I mean, it's stunning. It's not just stunning to you and to me and to, and to anyone reading this from the outside. It was stunning to people in the building, in the room. Forget the building. People in the room thought that was an extreme measure, but he clearly did not want his fingerprints uh on any of these guys. And it's a win-win for him because if it doesn't work out for these players, he can always say, hey, I had no doing in drafting these players. And if these players do succeed, he can always take the credit. So he is in a a no-lose situation in that respect. Now, that being said, if these guys don't work out, and I think Quentin Williams will work out, uh, but if the the other guys in this draft class uh, don't work out, uh, they're not going to be long for this team. I I don't think that there's going to be a long leash where each of these draft picks is guaranteed uh, three or four years on the roster. If, if these guys aren't working out in, in a year or two, 
uh, they could be shipped off because, again, this, these were not guys that Adam Gase picked or was really even involved in during the evaluation process. And part of that fault lies with Mike McCagnan because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, just uh, some of the dynamics in those pre-draft meetings were not necessarily conducive to the head coach giving his opinion. This is really wild when you think about it. All right, so you said uh, Gase wasn't in our, all that thrilled about the draft picks. What about the free agent signs? What about guys like Ty Montgomery, uh, Jameson Crowder? Is he big on those guys? Were those his picks? And what roles do we expect f- from those players? Well, Crowder is an interesting guy because he plays a position that's highly valued in Adam Gase's offense, the slot yes. position. So, so tight ends and slot wide receivers are extremely important. So he's going to play an important role for Adam Gase. If, if you just look at the, the players who he's had in that spot before, he his relationship with Jarvis Landry didn't end well, but Jarvis Landry was a productive player for him. And clearly Wes Welker during that record-breaking season in Denver uh, had a you know career renaissance, I, I guess, after he left New England for Gase. So uh, Crowder is going to be important. And with Crowder, it always comes down to health. Can he stay healthy? Because if I think he stays healthy, he'll be a player that Adam Gase likes. Uh, Ty Montgomery, look, this is a Swiss Army Knife type of depth player, uh, not really uh, an impactful player per se, but a guy who can have a role in this offense. I, you know, he's a guy who signed much later in free agency, you know, after the, the huge wave of guys and even the second wave of guys was gone. So, yeah, he's a, a secondary role player. Uh, you know, we'll see how he fits. Uh, but but Crowder to me is a guy who can be successful in Adams uh, in Adams' offense. So. Uh, I probably got two more rapid fire questions before you go. One, I can assume there's going to be more organizational changes to come, right? If this scouting staff and he weren't necessarily even communicating, I think that's another issue. And secondly, like, how did you feel about the team and the moves that they made before this happened this week? Well, in terms of get uh, all of the team to have those current scouts not closed I think we're losing Manisha's signal. If maybe he's coming back in, we're trying our best to make that happen. Yeah, I got you now. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, I think in terms of turnover, the new general manager is going to be able to bring uh, one or two guys that he really trusts. But by and large, uh, I think any significant turnover in the scouting department in the front office won't happen until after the 2019 season, just because scouts on other teams are not going to be allowed to freely walk away. That that would hamstring other teams. So uh, yeah, I think more significant turnover will happen next year. Uh, and uh, your second question was? Uh, was how did you actually feel about all these moves before the McCagney firing? Did, how, did you feel they did a oh, nice job them. of piecing oh, it together? Yeah. Yeah, I like them, and that's why I don't think that this firing is going to really impact them in 2019 on the field. I think the players they have and the roster they have is good enough to be in the playoff conversation. The bigger question is, how does this team perform in the long term? What's the long-term vision going to be? Uh, what kind of roster turnover is going to happen after this season? Who are they going to bring in moving forward? But uh, in terms of the product on the field in 2019, I don't think it'll be adversely affected by what happened this week. Good stuff. Well, Manish, I appreciate your time this morning. Uh, I encourage everybody to go read that article and everything that Manish uh, reads. You can go find him on Twitter at mmeta, NYDN. We'll talk to you again soon, Manish. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you.